This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Picky eaters and kids who refuse to try new foods are common problems that many parents face. In most cases, these are phases and stages of their development that when handled skillfully can be overcome, and these young upstarts can actually develop fairly normal eating behaviors. I'm Dr. Christine Wood, author of the book, How to Get Kids to Eat Great and Love It. Faster than a speeding toddler. Sit still for just a minute. Can soothe boo-boos with a gentle kiss. Would you get down from there? Able to clean poopy bottoms in a single swipe. Oh, what did you eat? Turning frazzled mommies and daddies into procreators of peace and harmony. Ah, quit touching me. It's Parent Savers, empowering new parents everywhere. Welcome to Parent Savers, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. Parent Savers is your weekly online on-the-go support group for parents from the newborn years through kindergarten. And I am your guest host, Sunny Galt. Our fearless leader, John Real, is actually out doing some wonderful things with his family today, so I'm pitch hitting. Thanks to all of our loyal listeners who join us week in and week out, and thanks to all of those who are listening for the first time. As you may know, you can join our Parent Savers Club, which gives you access to special bonus content after each of our new shows, plus special giveaways and discounts from time to time. And if you haven't already, please make sure to download the free Parent Savers app available in the Android and iTunes marketplace so you can automatically have access to all the great parenting advice and conversations we have on Parent Savers every week. So let's start this conversation by meeting everyone who's joining us here in the studio. I guess I'll kick things off. I am Sunny. I am a mom of four. I have two boys, um, Sayer and Urban. Sayer is three and a half, and he is my picky eater. Um, Urban is almost two years old, and that kid will eat anything. And then I have um, uh, twin identical girls who are two and a half months old, and they just eat mama's milk. So they're pretty easy right now. (laughs) And uh, let's go around the room. So Erin, how about you? Hi, my name is Erin, and I'm also known as OG Mamacita, um, officially geriatric, that is. Thank you very much. I have one boy. He's two-ish and extraordinarily picky. Picky. Yes, yes, yes. MJ. I'm MJ Fisher. I uh, have a a two-and-a-half-year-old son named Jason, who he... Every now and then, he's a picky eater, so um, hopefully I can have something to add to the conversation today. All right, and Jane. Jane's new to our show. Hi, I'm Jane Gamble, and I have a two-year-old son, Caden, and he has a lot of sensory processing disorder issues and oral motor issues, so he is very picky. Okay, well, everybody, thank you for joining us today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you. 
Hello, Parent Savers. I'm Dr. Jennifer Shear, a clinical psychologist with a practice in San Diego. One of my specialties is working with women during pregnancy and throughout the transition to motherhood. Today's segment is on how to best handle your baby's cry. Baby's cries are designed to get us to respond. Their cry and the alarm it sets off in us is the way the attachment system works. Baby's cries are meant as an attachment signal to get you to come closer and provide safety. However, with crazy hormones, lack of sleep, and heightened emotion about this huge new responsibility, we often get dominated by our own anxiety when our baby cries. It is easy to get lost in our own fears. Some strategies for responding to your baby's cry and not reacting to your own anxieties are to try to go cognitive. By that I mean think of baby's cry as a form of communication. They are signaling that they need something. It can help to create a short menu in your mind of the three basic options on the baby menu. Is baby needing to be held, fed, or changed? Much of the time, if you go through this brief mental checklist, you will decipher the mystery of that momentary discomfort. Know that the more times you go through this process with baby, the more comfortable you will feel in combating the initial helplessness. Sometimes it will take you and baby longer to discern what the need is. However, baby's cries tend to get shorter and less intense when they have repeated experience of your responsiveness, even if you haven't actually responded to what the need is quite yet. Your consistent responsiveness builds trust, and this helps them tolerate some discomfort just a little bit better. So if your baby's cry feels like a constant panic button, just remember that baby is simply saying, I need something. Your job is to let her or him know you hear and you care. Thanks for listening to Parent Savers. I hope this short piece helps put mommy minds just a bit more at ease. And keep listening for more episodes on how to thrive as a new parent. All right, today's topic is feeding your child picky eaters, and we are talking with Christine Wood. She is joining us here in the studio. Christine, we're talking all about picky eaters because us parents here in the studio, it drives us crazy. crazy. Oh, and, yes. <laughs> and we don't want to cook like five different uh, meals, depending on how many kids you have in the house, right? And yes. we don't want our kids to starve either. Exactly. So let's start with the basics. Christine, what is a picky eater? That is a really good question because I often get this topic coming up in my pediatric office. And a lot of times when I really start asking, I go, you know what, they're a normal picky eater. So sometimes parents really have their own thoughts about what a picky eater is, and it's driving them crazy. (laughs) But when I really start to delve in, they eat fine. Yeah. And, you know, you have to kind of look at all those developmental stages. And, and you have the two-and-a-half-month-old, and you said, <laughs> yeah, they just feed breast milk. Isn't that easy? It's so fun. It's <laughs> right. so nice. They don't have a choice, yeah. right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, unless you start out with some breastfeeding challenges, it's usually just kind of you're on the road, right? Yeah. And then parents get into the solid stages, right? And, you know, when they're usually six to 12 months, it's still pretty easy. I mean, most of the time they'll take it. But, you know, I occasionally get that one who, like, the goat, the parents go, oh, he hated the carrots, you know, at six months. You go, how do they know? So, um, but the other thing to realize is as they get into the one-year stage, they all get a little picky, you know. Kids don't like to try new things, right? They're very fearful of new places, new people, new foods, right? And also, 
they start to get a little defiant, all right? I mean, if you can, a lot of you have the two-year-old, so I'm sure yeah. it's not that hard to look back at a year and go, oh my gosh, the switch just went on and they just stopped listening to me. <laughs> and so you have to kind of realize that there's some developmental things that are normal around picky eating. So the picky eater to me, you know, if you look at the normal picky eater, they're the ones who kind of have a few foods. They love a food, love a food. Then the next day they don't want it anymore and the parents are going crazy. They go, oh my gosh, I just bought 10 pounds of carrots and now they don't want it anymore. And so you're on to the next food, right? And you're trying to find something new. But they still get a few foods in each food group. That's kind of your normal picky eater in that age group, okay? Then you get some of those kids, and there are some kids who I call them the ultra picky eaters, where really they are really honed in to just a few things, and they're very challenging to try anything new and to kind of branch out. And we can get more into that. But that's, you know, that's what I try to teach parents is there's kind of normal picky eating around that one to two year range in that, you know, preschool range. So you have to kind of accept some of those challenges. Yeah. So grin and bear it for, for a little bit at least. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But there's some strategies. So we'll get into that. Yeah. Well, now I know my kid's not normal. <laughs> oh. Well, why? Why? Why do you say that? Because just as she described, you know, he will only eat certain foods and he, he refuses to try others. And if I even get them near him, if he just sees them on the plate... A temper tantrum will ensue, and he gets extraordinarily upset. And he'll if if the plate is near him, he'll pull the food off and throw it on the floor, and then the plate's going in the air. Okay, and so I have a question. How do you react to that? What do you do? Uh, calmly, most of the time. Occasionally, mm-hmm. I get frustrated. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but usually, I just say, you know, okay, that's, I don't know what else to give you. I don't know what you want. And then I always kind of like revert to my husband if he's there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, okay. So the tantrums, the kids who have those real significant tantrums, that is not an uncommon behavior that you'll see. And, you know, what I try to teach parents is you don't want to battle them. You know, if you're starting to make this a battle, you're going to lose. I mean, right. I tell parents, there's a few things you can't force your kids to do. You can't force them to swallow the food. I suppose you could shove it in their mouth. You can't force them to sleep, right? Right. You can't force that. And you can't force them to potty train. So we have to sort of give up some of these battles. Now, for that kind of kid, my thought for you would be to do what I call sensory introductions, Mm -hmm. all right? So you might just say to him one night, you know what? We're just going to put the broccoli on your plate. You don't have to touch it, eat it, you know, mm-hmm. nothing, okay? But we just want you to see the broccoli. What color is it? How does broccoli grow? Let's talk about broccoli. Let's learn about broccoli, okay? You want to get to know the food, all right? That's what I call a visual introduction, all right? Then from there, the next time, and this works really great with the sensory kids too, you know, you might ask them to touch it and just say, what does it touch feel like? Is mm. it squishy? Is it hard? Is it soft? You know, what does that texture feel like to you in your fingers? Boom, that's it, okay? You're not asking to pick it up and eat it because that's usually where the battle starts. You know, when they know it's on their plate because you want them to eat it, isn't that where they're like all anxious and upset about it, right? So then from there, you might be able to get them to lick the food. And you mm-hmm. might be able to next time get them to taste the food. Now, this you get some kids who absolutely that's like, you know, even a challenge. Yeah. And in that case, I usually just say, you know what, you're going to do other strategies also in there. You know, I'll use smoothies. I'll do, um, you know, sneak stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. I've even had parents do baby food and add right. it into things, you know. So there are other things. So as a parent, you feel like, okay, they're getting a few things. But if they're really getting a few choices in every food group, you're still probably okay. Yeah. Do you? Okay. I, I have a question because yeah. what I have done lately is um, 
I just would like you to try it. If you don't like it, you can spit it out. Mm-hmm. And he usually tries it. And then he goes, I like it, mommy. Yeah. And so like I, but I don't know if that's good because I, I'm not like, like I, I don't know. Like I'm, I don't want to, I, I have an issue. I, we, we've always had an issue with him eating, getting enough, just making sure that he has enough. And, but it came, became a power struggle. And that I knew that that wasn't going to be a good thing trying to yeah. have, especially with a, a toddler, it just, yeah. it wasn't going to work. So I have, you know, and him, I don't want to eat dinner. Okay, that's fine. You don't have to eat, but we'd like you to sit with us, you know? And so we just kind of do it that way. But do you think that there's a problem with no. that? No. So that's, okay. now. so she's got that more ultra picky eater, you know, doesn't even want it on the plate, all that. You got a kid who at least try it, which is great. So you kind of have to meet them where they are, all mm-hmm. right? Okay. Your kid, you could definitely do, I call it one bite rule or a thank you bite. You're thanking the people who grew the food, prepared mm-hmm. the food, oh, like sold that. the food, whatever it is. You're doing a little thank you bite, Okay. If you don't like it, that's fine. And yes, I do allow kids, sometimes those kids who just say, ah, you know, you can spit it out if you want, you know, that's okay. But we just want you to taste it. The studies show that 10 to 15 times of introducing and tasting a food, a kid may actually turn around and like it. Now, I have a 20-year-old, so I'm like way past (laughs) you guys. But, um, you know, I still remember when he was little, he, he loved croutons out of salads. So he'd get the crouton, but he'd have to have a bite of salad. And one night, I still remember this night because one night we had a Caesar salad. He's eating the croutons. He ate a bite of the salad. You know, it was usually just literally one little tiny piece of lettuce, right? But this night he just kept eating the salad. And of course, I didn't say anything. You know, I don't want to go, you know, but from then on, he likes salad. So after time, this can be very a positive type of effect. And sometimes we have to look at our reactions. We get very uptight. We get very involved. We take it personally, right? Our kids don't eat. We take that personally. And sometimes you just have to really let that go. You have to just say to yourself, you know what? They're growing fine. They're nutritionally okay. I mean, give them some vitamins, omega-3 fats if you want. I mean, there's lots of other things you can kind of do to add to their nutritional support if you want. But sometimes you have to just look at the bottom line and go, you know what? I could create more problems by putting more pressure. And that is what happens sometimes. You know when you have your two-year-old and you say, oh, do you want to do this? And if they're in that one of those moods, they don't want to do it, right? It's the same thing with eating. The more we want them to do it, sometimes the less they do it. I keep telling myself when I get in those moments of frustration, I'm like, Erin Elizabeth? There's going to be a time when this kid is not going to stop eating. You know, yeah, just, he's, yeah. he's going to eat you out of the house. That's what my eat husband me keeps out of house me. and home. Uh-huh. So just relax. He's not going to starve. Right. If he's hungry, he will eat. Yes, but it can be frustrating, especially when you make stuff from scratch. And he had eaten it before, and now suddenly it's yeah. no good. Yeah, so we got to yeah. stop taking it personally right. because that's what happens, you know, as mothers, right? <laughs> We're there yes. to nurture, feed, grow, cherish our children. And when it comes to feeding, you know, and they look at you and they go, nope, I don't like it, you know? It hurts us, <laughs> right? Yeah. We take it personally. Food yeah. is love. It is. Yeah. So we have to let that piece go. Yeah. A couple other tips I'll give you. Sometimes, like for your kid with the ultra picky eater mm-hmm. kid, you know, you might just get a very very small plate, literally put one bite of food on the plate of everything. And all of a sudden, they'll probably look at you like, is that really all they want me to eat? Because how many times do we create a plate that we think they should eat Mm -hmm. and they don't? There's a very important subject here. It's called self-regulation. And you kind of mentioned that. You sort of alluded to that, that sometimes they're going to figure out how much they eat, right? We know that toddlers generally are built to self-regulate. They should know 
when they're hungry, when they're full. That's what's great about breastfeeding, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't like have the ounces on our breasts that say, oh, they need to drink <laughs> four ounces. Yeah. That's why some of the studies show that formula-fed babies can often have more issues with being overweight because the moms get that four-ounce bottle, right? And isn't it like, oh, well, they should eat it all because that's usually what they have? Whereas with breast milk, we don't know. We yeah, allow them right. to get sleepy, fall off. You know, we yeah. don't know if it's two ounces or four ounces that feeding. You yeah. know? Right. Food is the same way. We have to allow that self-regulation. Kids are generally, there's a few exceptions, but kids are generally built with that in. And so when they did a study on little preschoolers and they found out about how many calories they eat during lunch, right? They figured out these little toddlers, like, okay, they eat about this many calories. What they did in this study is they gave them um, juice, like about a half hour before lunch. Those kids cut the number of calories by about that many calories that was in the juice. Wow. So we have to realize that there's something built in there. Mm -hmm. And they will eat, I call it, good days and bad days, right? Yeah. Yeah. Some days they eat great. Some days they eat very little. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they have one good meal in the day. Unfortunately, for a lot of kids, it's dinner is the worst meal, right? Is Mm -hmm. that common? And then that's when the dads get all irate. They're like, oh, my gosh, you know, my son's not eating the food. And so we have to kind of recognize that sometimes with toddlers, particularly breakfast and lunch may be their best meal, which is good. They need that food and energy better in the day than right before bed. Yeah. Someone told me, too, which was, oh, my God, it totally helped me. Don't look at what they're eating in a sitting or even in a day. Like you, you got to look like over a week. The big picture. Yeah. Yeah. And, and oh my God, that like saved me. Yeah. I was like, okay, yay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if I wasn't breast, still breastfeeding him, I would probably be a lot crazier than I am about it because I know, okay, he's, he's getting, kid ain't going to starve. You know, he's, he's, he's good. How can you tell if a kid is getting enough to eat? Well, it's, you know, you we look at the growth curves and, you know, when you go to the doctors, you're going to definitely look at that. Although kids follow their own curve, right? So sometimes I get kids who are fifth percentile, but they're always fifth percentile. You look at the parents, they may be small boned, you know, smaller frames. So there's a lot that you want to look at. You don't want to just say, oh, they're not, you know, in the 50th percentile or whatever. That's not necessarily, quote, normal, okay? What we're looking at is what's genetically programmed for them. Mm-hmm. So you want to look at the growth curves. We do see in kids, um, like, between 2 and 5, they don't gain a whole lot of weight, you know, from, from month to month. I still remember, this is so funny, my mom, she would weigh my son. She, he'd go over there every week for babysitting, right? And she started weighing my son, like, when he's 2 or 3, right? And she, like, started harping on me. She goes, he's not gaining any weight. I go, Mom, you don't want him to gain a lot of weight right now. It's okay, you know? She's telling her daughter pediatrician. Oh, right. <laughs> okay, come on, Mom. He's growing fine. But sometimes we get hung up on these things, and we just have to kind of go with the flow and say, you know what, genetically, this is where they're at. Kids are active, right? So they're they're not programmed to gain a lot of weight in that age group, okay? Yeah. I think, you know, too, we're so used to babies gaining so much weight there in the beginning that I know, I know with my firstborn, I mean, he came out nine pounds, two ounces, and it was just, he was a big baby and kept getting bigger and bigger. And then once he started to walk, it, you know, it, it all kind of came off, you know, and now he, I, I bet if we looked at his growth chart now, it'd be like a little bit under that 50%, but he was always in the 90s wow. for everything, yeah. you know, and, um, but it was, I was just so used to him gaining weight. I'm like, this kid's not gaining weight, he's not gaining weight, but he's, I know he's healthy, you know, um, but for me, it, it was that, that point where he kind of grew out of the baby stage and, you know, then he kind of, that was his plateau. Yeah. 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 So it is important to look at that growth chart 
start and just get a sense, okay, you know, they're doing what they normally do. And, right. you know, you know when teething and when they're sick and those kind of things that obviously affects their appetite yeah. and all yeah. that. So sometimes they have little dips. And some kids do more zigzag patterns in their growth. So there's kind of various things we look at. But, you know, if your doctor is not concerned about how they're growing, they're not what we call falling off the growth curve, where they're really starting to plateau or lose, then they're probably doing fine. And for, you know, 99% of the kids, they are fine. So, <laughs> <laughs> so do you think we've, we maybe hyper-focus needlessly? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's you know, and, and I'll, I'll talk about some other things, but you know, it, it is, it's a culture where we, we feel very strongly about food and food choices yeah. in this Finishing culture. Our plate. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. true. That's, or being that's wasteful. Yeah. Like that's, that's another thing that gets to me is that I'll make something for my son and then, you know, two seconds ago, it's exactly what he wanted. Right. And then now he doesn't want it. And I'm like, well, you know, I can't eat that. And in my head, I'm like, I'm trying to lose my baby weight. I'm not eating. Yeah. But then, then I try to feed it to the other kid because I'm like, yeah. come on, come you on, guys. Yeah. I don't want to leftovers of that or whatever. Right, so, right. Yeah, it's right. kind of trained in our head. Yeah. Um. So what do kids really need to be eating? I mean, are there some key things, key... I, I don't know, specific foods or certain vitamins they should be getting, or what should we be keeping an eye out well, for? Well, I talk about real foods, okay? okay? I mean, particularly Yay. when you're looking at kids who are a year, right? Uh, you know, it's it's tough, and the food marketing companies have done a wonderful job of selling us foods that are really processed foods for our babies and toddlers, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, the more I, I tell parents at a year, trying to avoid the boxed packaged food choices for kids. I mean, as much as possible, they're going to get it later. They're going to be exposed to stuff. It's not that I'm trying to tell them you're never going to give it, but when they're a year, they're not going down to the grocery store and buying it, right? Right, You still have the choices. So the more fresh fruits, vegetables, whole grains, you know, lean meats, if you're doing that, or, you know, alternative, you know, meats, I'm fine with that proteins, you know, that's what you want to be focusing on in that younger age group. Your kid's starts getting goldfish because they think that's the staple food at at a year and a half, guess what? That tastes better. It has more salt. It has more fat. It has whatever. You know, all these things are more desirable. And so we have to kind of, I tell parents, focus on real food. You know, if it's got a ton of ingredients in it, you know, think twice about it when they're young. And again, it's not to say I don't, I'm not also preaching restriction. In other words, um, there are some studies looking at if we're too restrictive, like you never let your kids eat this or chocolate or sweets or whatever it is, you know, you could actually also create more problems because these kids will start to crave it. So it's this kind of balance, but we also have to look at parents, what we're feeding ourselves. You know, I was doing a little talk for a mother of multiples group last week, and one of the moms was complaining. She goes, well, my husband's a really picky eater. And so my daughter looks at him and she says, well, I'm eating just like daddy does. You I know? Know, yeah. And so we sometimes have to look at our habits. And they do show studies that kids... You know, we, our food preferences, primarily mothers, I have all moms here today, you know, our food preferences do dictate what our kids will like and eat. So we sometimes have to look at more variety in our diets and what we're offering and how we're cooking and all those kind of things too. That's an important factor. Okay. Well, we're going to take a brief break. When we come back, we'll talk more about how to deal with picky eaters and also talk about some foods that may help expand picky eaters' horizons. We'll be right back. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. 
In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Today we are talking about picky eaters, and our special guest is Christine Wood. She's a pediatrician. She's also author of the book, How to Get Kids to Eat Great and to Love It. So, Christine, are there some foods that we can start incorporating in our kids' diets that could kind of, I don't know, expand their horizons when they think of food and and kind of open their mind to the possibilities out there? Well, there's some interesting research looking at pregnancy and breastfeeding. And, um, you know, so for those moms who are breastfeeding, the varieties of foods that you incorporate while you're pregnant and breastfeeding can actually have an impact on flavors that kids like. There was something they called the carrot juice study, and they gave moms carrot juice every day like third trimester of pregnancy and while they're breastfeeding, those toddlers were much more likely to like and drink carrot juice than kids who did not have that. I read that study ah. and I guinea pigged myself. Ah, okay. <laughs> okay. Her, right? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I happen to love carrot juice. And it's funny because Cash loves carrot juice. And mm-hmm. for me, it's like a candy bar almost. And yeah, he yeah. loves it too. So it worked. Yeah. So That's theoretically, great. it should work with other things. Yeah, I mean, if you think about other cultures, right? Indian kids love Indian spices. Yeah. I mean, why do we think that is? So there definitely is a lot of cultural and flavor stuff. So you know, sometimes I get moms they're very concerned about what they're eating and how it affects their baby's gassiness and all that when they're breastfeeding. And I, although you have to identify some of these things, you want to still have them explore flavors and spices and food choices and all those types of things, okay? So it is important to kind of incorporate that. I'll I'll mention one other thing that's kind of interesting. There uh, have been some research looking on what they, I don't know if you've ever heard this term, super tasters. Mm, Anybody heard this? Okay. So these are people, I mean, children to adults, who have a very unique way of tasting certain foods in their palate or in their tongue, right? Right? That's where all our taste buds are. And I went to an inter- interesting workshop, and this woman who's a, one of these super tasting researchers, she had this little piece of paper that she gave each of us in a little baggie, and she asked each of us to taste it. And I've tasted nothing, right? And she said, how many people in here tasted a really bitter taste? About 5% of people raised their hands. And I looked around, I go, were they tasting the same thing <laughs> I was? I tasted nothing. And these are people who really do have kind of a very ultra- you know, um, sensitive palate. So there probably are some things just genetically programmed that may be there that may be hard to control. And maybe this is something that we do see with some of these kids who are those really ultra picky eaters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like I said earlier, my son has sensory processing disorder and has um, some oral motor issues. How do you go about with uh, overcoming the oral motor issues and food? Yeah, so kids with sensory issues, kids with autism, um, developmental issues, they do present a special problem in that they have other developmental things that are sort of interfering with their ability to try new things or taste new things. So um, generally with those kids, I am going to refer them to occupational therapy. There are occupational therapy feeding clinics and feeding specialists. They often use other techniques, for example, introducing 
different textured toys and things for them to mouth and do because sometimes you'll see with some of these kids it's a whole texture thing Mm -hmm. they don't like soft things they don't like chewy things they don't like hard things whatever it is Mm -hmm. you know they get hung up on a texture thing so they try to work on having them bite or you know work with different textures in their mouth so that may be a technique that can be helpful Um, and even just sometimes the parenting techniques we have to use because again if we start to berate them and get upset and all that and with all kids it's not really effective we sometimes just have to get at their level go you know I understand this is really hard for you and be really empathetic with them because they don't see it the way we see it right Mm -hmm. their brains think in a whole different way of this and we have to reward for certain small things oh, I'm really happy that you at least picked up that food and and felt how it felt. You know, some of the things we talked about at the beginning. Wow, I'm really proud of you. You actually smelled that food. What did you think of that? You know, so trying to acknowledge any little breakthroughs that they have in overcoming any kind of sensory introduction to a food is really important because they have to feel that like, okay, it's just not all about eating the food because yeah. that can be an issue. And sometimes I'll, I'll, with these kids, I'll, I'll try and incorporate some healthy smoothies and things if they will do things like that that might at least help parents feel like, okay, I at least got some good fats and some vegetables and some other things into them that day. I'm really curious. So how did you, what were these symptoms? How did, how did you come to this conclusion, Jane? Um, well, uh, around six, well, actually at birth, He never latched on. He preferred the bottle. He was also tongue-tied and Mm lip-tied, which also has a big effect on latching and stuff. And then right around six months, he just stopped touching things. He he really reacted very sensitively to touching certain items. And um, so we ended up getting him evaluated Mm -hmm. for sensory processing disorder. And he's got tactile, and he's got, um, so it's touch issues. And he would eat the purees perfectly fine. I mean, I was going through 68 pouches a day. I mean, my friends would joke that I needed to invest in Plum Organics and all these other things. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But then when it came to being older, he started to refuse eating solid foods. And I would just put it on his plate, and he didn't want to touch it. Um, so we ended up getting him into Rady's feeding therapy. And then that's when we started noticing the food allergies. And I think he knew that he had food allergies and that's why he was resistant to eating some of the foods that he was offered. And he still is very resistant to eating a lot of foods. And so he really has a very limited diet, but we still try to offer it every day. And we do do the smoothies, like you suggest, to get him the the food that he needs. So he is growing, but you know, what we can offer him and what he can eat is very, very limited. Yeah. And kids who start out with feeding challenges, like from birth, like if they have severe GERD, the gastroesophageal reflux disease, what I kind of tell parents is sometimes these kids never really learn to enjoy food. Imagine you eat and you throw up and you have pain, okay? It's not a good thing, right? So I do get some of these kids, when I'm doing feeding histories, like let's say I get a three-year-old who's picky, I always ask about birth history, trauma, preemies, you know, any kids who had like serious more GI issues and probably food allergies too, you know, these kind of things, they they upset the apple cart of how they get started out. And that's, you know, unfortunate, but, you know, we, we want to identify that, wow, maybe they had some actual good reasons not to really enjoy eating and enjoy food. Right. So for parents out there that have picky eaters, how do we avoid this whole idea of, okay, we've got our adult food that we cook, and then we've got all this kid food that we've got to cook? Because it can drive 
I'm crazy. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> don't, no, do yeah, don't, don't do it. Yeah. Don't do it, right? Yeah. Don't that's do it. I, that's, that's one of the awesome things about being having a baby for, for us. My husband and I, our whole life changed and our, the way that we ate changed. And I, I mean, like I... I did purees in the beginning, but um, if we have a next baby, I'm definitely going to do baby led weaning so I don't have to make another food for anybody. But that that was the most beautiful thing was that once we realized that if, if we eat something, he's going to want to eat it. So we got to change what we're what we're eating. Yeah. And oh, mac and house. cheese for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Just yeah, kidding. Right? Totally kidding. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it really, it got us so healthy it's it's i mean i'm so grateful for for my son because of that yeah and also with food allergies you know i'm more strict about or not necessarily strict about it but i'm more attentive the the attentive and i'm more um aware of Mm -hmm. what i eat because of what my son cannot eat and so i've changed my diet my husband's slowly getting there (laughs) he misses a lot of things um but it just, you know, we try to find things that we can kind of all eat together. Yeah. And so we can sit there and have gluten-free pasta mm-hmm. and we can have pasta sauce together. And so we're all eating the same meal or we can do slow cooker meals that are gluten-free or allergen friendly mm-hmm. and we can eat the same things. We're all sitting there eating the same food and I'm not making something separate for him. Yeah. yeah. And that that is kind of the lesson. Try not to start there because it does get to be the new habit, the new mm-hmm. way. You know, if kids get the mac and cheese or the whatever it is, the chicken nuggets, you know, I mean, unfortunately again, the food company's done an excellent job of marketing these like special foods to our kids, right? I know when I was growing up, I mean, I my mother never made a separate meal for me. It was like yeah. you ate what she cooked, period, right? And so I think we do have to get back to that basics and family meals. That's another thing I really talk about. A lot of studies looking at kids who eat fam- more family meals have less problems with um, uh, when they're teenagers, you know, drugs, smoking. Right, right. They have academ- better academic achievement, all these types of things. So depression, less risk of depression. So a lot of good reasons to incorporate family meals. But family meals also means um, having a family meal, yeah. you know, serving the same food, um, not being a short order cook. And I know there's some parent out there who's probably going, oh, it's too late. I've already done it. I'm there. <laughs> so what I tell them is start somewhere. Say, okay, two days a week, three days a week, we're going to have a family meal, meaning all the same food. And we all sit down and we all eat together. No TV, no texting, no phones, right. turn it all off. And, uh, you know, talk about pleasant things. You don't need to, you know, hash out some horrible thing right. that happened that day. We want to keep it pleasant. And sometimes I find with certain kids, you want to kind of ignore how they're eating. And I'm kind of looking at her with a real ultra <laughs> eater. I'm sorry, <laughs> no, but no. I'm picking on you. Um, but, you know, sometimes you have to just not worry about what they're eating. Have a nice conversation. Don't bring up what they're eating, not eating. Guess what? That kid got all the focus about that, right? And sometimes you just want to put the food on the plate, not say another word about what they're eating, what they have to eat, how much they have to eat. And you might be amazed if you do that over a few days' time, all of a sudden what they're doing, because they're not getting that reinforcement and intention. You have to do something different to get your kids to change and do something different, right? Mm -hmm. So that might be another thought. So if your kids are sort of in that, I got to have my own thing, you could say, okay, tonight's kids' night. Everybody gets to pick what they want, okay? You might do that one time a week. I mean, and I'm talking mm-hmm. to families who this is already like, oh, my gosh, how am I going to ch- wean this out of right, here, right. right? But 
focus on those family meals, you know, and try and increase that so that, you know, hopefully you're getting away from that. Now, kids who you serve something and they go, I don't like that. I'm not going to eat it. What I would just say is, I'm really sorry, honey. I'm really sorry you don't like that, but this is what we have. Go on and have a nice conversation with your husband, the other kids, whatever. Don't focus on it. When they just don't eat and they say, they go to bed, right? I'm hungry. You can say, you know what? You had a choice tonight of what to eat, and I'm sorry you chose not to, but let's talk about what you can have for breakfast tomorrow. What would you like for breakfast, okay? They're not going to, they're going to be fine. They're not going to starve, all right? But you don't want to reinforce that, oh, I have to feed you now. You know, it's nine o'clock and you're hungry, poor thing. You can't send this child to bed hungry. (laughs) You've got to let them live with the consequences on that, okay? Okay. I think we need to have that etched in stone. (laughs) (laughs) Or at least on the refrigerator. You know, it's the parents' responsibility to pick and choose what to offer, but it's uh, it's their responsibility to pick and choose how much and what of that to eat. That's what they call division of responsibility. Ellen Satter, who's done a ton of research on this whole self-regulation thing and everything, that is a very important lesson to keep in mind. Okay, so as we wrap this up, let's talk a little bit about desserts. Oh, right right at the end. I love it. (laughs) Right. Dessert. The best for last. So this happens all the time. My child does not want to eat, and then all of a sudden it's time for everyone else to have dessert who has, you know, eaten their food, and um, and then he's suddenly hungry and he wants dessert. And then he'll kick and scream, and a tantrum ensues because he does not get. But I forewarn him throughout dinner, listen, if you don't eat your food, you're not going to have dessert. It's okay if you don't want dessert, but I just want you to know. So, you know, I was trying to guide him a little bit. So anyways, what what do we do um, when we've got children that just want dessert and that's it? Right, right. So a couple strategies. First of all, we sometimes have to realize we've just put dessert on the pedestal, right? It's up there. It's really high up there. That's the trophy. That's the prize. (laughs) It's the wonderful thing at the end of the meal, right? Yeah. Sometimes we have to take that away. Be very neutral about dessert, you know. And dessert can also be other desserts, fruit and yogurt, you know, other things like that. So we're not always feeling like it's got to be the sweet, sweet, you know, sugar all the time. So mix it up. But, um, you know, in your situation, I would just be very matter of fact about it and say, you know what, you can choose to have dessert, but I, I would probably just let him have it. Because he's already, you know what he's doing? He's micromanaging you into... (laughs) He's manipulating me. (laughs) And you've kind of all of a sudden put it up there and you take it away. And you put it out there and you take it away. And now what have you got? Power Mm -hmm. struggle, right? For sure. Okay, so another strategy you could do. This is kind of a fun thing. You don't do this every night, but I call it backwards dinner night. Okay, people can come to dinner with a shirt on backwards or something on backwards, (laughs) right? Right, right. You have dessert first. Okay, now you just serve a small, you know, small serving of dessert. Yeah. But you've taken away dessert. Yeah. It's done. Yeah. All right. Now you have dinner. And it's amazing how the mindset changes. Okay. The mindset completely changes. It's like, oh, mom's going to give you dessert first. Great. Woo-hoo. Yeah. You know, and then just play with it, you know, yeah. see what happens. And so you could call it backwards dinner night and have like <laughs> a little bit of fun with that. But sometimes we have to look at our approach with dessert. We just happen to sometimes put it so out there and so much as the prize, the trophy, the thing we're all striving for. And it drives the kids crazy. It drives us crazy. So sometimes you just want to give it to them and go, you know what? It's not going to be dependent on that because you've already created that power circle there. 
All right, good information, ladies. Thanks so, so much. For more information about feeding your child and picky eaters, and for any information about our panelists as well as our expert today, visit the episode page on our website. This conversation continues for members of the Parent Savers Club. After the show, Christine will tell us more about when to loop in a doctor if there really is an issue with your child being too much of a picky eater. For more information about the Parent Savers Club, visit our website, parentsavers.com. Hi, Parent Savers. I'm Robin Kaplan, an international board-certified lactation consultant, owner of the San Diego Breastfeeding Center, and the host and producer of Parent Savers' sister show, The Boob Group. I'm here to offer some advice on different breastfeeding remedies, such as, how can I get over my fear of breastfeeding in public? I remember the first time I breastfed my son, Ben, in public. He was six weeks old. My husband, Jason, and I were driving up to his sister's Kim's wedding in Northern California. We had stopped in Los Angeles for lunch, and it was brutally hot, like 95 degrees in the parking lot. And I actually contemplated nursing Ben in the car, but I was sweating so profusely, I figured, eh, I got to go in the restaurant. So into the restaurant we went. I sat down at a table and got out a large receiving blanket. I distinctly remember asking Jason to stand behind me to pull down the blanket so that I could hide my six-week postpartum back fat. To me, covering my back was actually more important than possibly flashing a boob. Up until now, I had been helping Ben get a comfortable latch by compressing my breast into that breast sandwich. I wondered how I was going to do this without the blanket slipping off of my shoulder. I slowly lowered Ben under the blanket, lifted up my shirt, and bam, that kiddo latched without my help whatsoever. Clearly, he was a very capable participant. I just had no idea. So from then on, breastfeeding in public was a breeze. Sure, he made extremely loud gulping noises while eating, which often attracted some onlookers, but now I was comfortable feeding him anywhere, and I began to feel an incredible sense of freedom. So, here are my top tips for breastfeeding in public. First, practice at home so that you are comfortable latching your baby while sitting in different chairs and wearing different shirts. If you are uncomfortable breastfeeding in public without a cover, practice using that cover or a blanket in front of a mirror so you can actually see what you're doing. Next, find stress-free places to breastfeed in public, such as the Nordstrom's nursing room or a breastfeeding support group. It's no big deal if you flash a boob in front of other moms, and you can also ask them what tricks they have tried to become comfortable nursing in public. Another trick is to practice breastfeeding in a carrier, wrap, or sling. I remember my sister-in-law walking around the San Diego Zoo while nursing her daughter in a Moby wrap. It was super discreet, and she didn't even have to stop and sit down. Lastly, go to lunch with a few other breastfeeding moms and practice in their company. You will most likely feel less stressed if you are surrounded by other women, plus you can learn some valuable tricks from them. For more great information about different breastfeeding remedies, check out my blog at sandiegobreastfeedingcenter.com backslash blog, and be sure to listen to Parent Savers and the Boob Group for fantastic conversations about breastfeeding and breastfeeding support. That wraps up our show for today. We appreciate you listening to Parent Savers. Don't forget to check out our sister shows, Preggy Pals for Expecting Parents, the boob group for moms who breastfeed their babies, and Twin Talks for Parents of Multiples. This is Parent Savers, empowering new parents. This has been a new mommy media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of New Mommy Media and should not be considered facts. 
While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. New Mommy Media is expanding our lineup of shows for new and expecting parents. If you have an idea for a new series, or if you're a business or organization interested in joining our network of shows through a co-branded podcast, visit newmommymedia.com. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.